Well, like Missy Elliott, I can't stand the rain <laughs> against my window. <laughs> Folks, it's raining outside. It's so. raining outside. It's kind of nice. And we record next to like some big giant windows. So, you know. Maybe this is an episode that you listen to go to sleep to. Um, but maybe not because about halfway through, we're going to start screaming about boobs and Nazis. Welcome to another nonplussed. That over there is Clancy. And that over there is Josh. And we are nonplussed. Hello, honey. Hi. This one's a wild ride. I loved this movie, but whoa. No, it was a really good movie. Uh, the movie that we're talking about is The Rocketeer. The Rocketeer. And per the usual, we get all of our research from Wikipedia and IMDb. I, I was I was pure Wikipedia today. <laughs> So yeah, we did The Rocketeer. It came out in 1991. It was a year or two after Dick Tracy, which is funny for reasons we'll discuss later. Yeah. Um, it's based on the comic by Dave Stevens, directed by Joe Johnson. Um, you might know Joe Johnson from, uh, he did the Captain America, the first Avenger. He, oh, dude. He also did Willow and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Two two films that will probably be covered at some point. Yeah, he's actually a pretty good director. He, like I I enjoy him. The Page Master, he did Jumanji. Oh my god. October Sky, Jurassic Park 3. Moving on, it was uh written by Danny Bilson and Paul DeMeo. Um what's next? Who's next? Music by James Horner. I was It's actually really good. I liked the soundtrack. They use this music in Soren. There's mm-hmm. a lot of of movies, some of which aren't Disney movies that are like aviation movies that they use sure. music for on the ride. But like he did the music for Hocus Pocus, Braveheart, Casper, Apollo 13, Jumanji, and also Titanic. Yeah. So uh, the music in this movie is phenomenal throughout and it's manipulative as shit. <laughs> a little bit. I'm going to get to that in a second. So uh, total length for this was an hour and 48 minutes. Um, yeah. I think like we said, this came out in 1991. Yep. There were no extras on Disney Plus, which is kind of surprising. There, yeah, there was the trailer. On, on the Blu-ray and the DVD as well. Look, we are only covering what is available on this service that we already paid for. We are not buying digital movies for exactly. every episode. Exactly. The budget on this was uh, 35 million to 40 million. There wasn't a like uh, a specific number on that. Uh, it did make 46 million, which really wasn't great in terms of what they wanted it to do. But I mean, it, OK, look, it, it fell short of back. projections, but it made its money back and then some. Yeah. The cast in this is insane. <laughs> this cast is a who's who of, of character actors and pretty people. Like mm-hmm. every every new character, every new scene, I was like, "Oh my god, look at that! Oh, oh, look at oh, look, look who it is! Oh, I know him! I know her!" Jan Levinson from The Office is the singer in the South Seas Club. Yeah, uh, Melora Harden is her name. It was just like, "Oh my!" Well, do you want to go through the whole thing, or do, I think let's just get the top level people, and then yes. as notable cameos come up, we'll mention them. Yeah. So we'll start off with uh, Billy Campbell. He plays the protagonist. Uh, his name is Cliff Secord. Uh, he is the Rocketeer. Spoiler alert. Yes. He was in uh, the TV series Dynasty. Um, yes. He was Luke on Dynasty, right? Yeah. 
Uh, he was in uh, Once and Again. He was on Crime Story, Bram Stoker's Dracula. There's a lot. Yeah, he was kind of like one of those like late 80s, early 90s kind of cuties. Yeah, he was also in that sci-fi series Helix, which I watched a little oh, bit of. Oh, yes, yes, which yes. I liked. Yeah. And then we've got Jennifer Connelly, who plays Jenny Blake. Yes, famously from, of course, The Labyrinth. And then she was also in Requiem for a Dream. She won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress in uh, A Beautiful Mind. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's just Blood Diamond. Day the Earth stood still. He's just not that into you. Uh, and Alita Battle Angel. Uh, we also had Alan Arkin. Uh, yes. He played PV. Um, Famous character actor. He's, you know, Edward Scissorhands, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Uh, uh, Little Miss it? Sunshine. Yes, Little Miss Sunshine. Yeah. Uh, get Smart. And he, I initially had him confused with Alan Alda. <laughs> no, no, no. Not Alan Alda. Alan Arkin. Yeah. Helen Mirren. Helen Mirren. Uh, <laughs> Timothy Dalton is also in this. Timothy kind of not Dalton. crazy. Because here's the thing. We didn't really do. We were so loosey goosey about this. We didn't. Neither of us no. had seen this movie. And suddenly we're in this. Oh, we'll get there. But yeah, when Timothy Dalton whipped around, I was like, oh, Timothy Dalton. <laughs> like I had no idea. So he plays Neville Sinclair. Uh, I mean, if you don't know who he is, he played uh, James Bond in the Living Daylights and a license to kill. Yes. Apparently he's he's appearing in the DC series Doom Patrol. Yeah, he's in Doom Patrol. Oh, that's rad. Yeah, that's recent. He was also in Doctor Who. Yeah, for sure. I haven't watched any Doom Patrol. I need to. Yeah. Who do we got next? Terry O'Quinn oh, played right. Howard Hughes. Which was... We got five minutes into that scene <laughs> and there was it was something he said and a look on his face. I was like, holy shit, it's the dude from Lost. It's Terry O'Quinn. Yeah, for sure. Because we, we had to pause it because we're like, we know who this is. Yeah. And then Josh was like, it was the, the expression on his, on his face. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, it's the guy from what was the name? Terry Quinn. I didn't realize that they were going to have like actual real life people in this. Yeah. I guess I didn't realize it was that sort of like, uh, alt universe, alt universe history either. Truly. I didn't because again, we didn't really look anything up, no, we not. but yeah, Howard Hughes. And then like at one point they referenced Clark Gable. There's a, what's his name? WC fields cameo at one point so like it it really like sets that la late 30s of you is that yeah. a word it was what, what, what am i trying to say of you no um je ne sais quoi i don't know the the <laughs> it's french it nailed the zeitgeist how about yeah. that moving on uh, you want to get into the movie yes it opens up it looks like heartland america but we we eventually find out it's it's central coast basically it's the valley but it's like you know everything's so picturesque and there's that soaring james horner score and mm-hmm. um it you know we end up on an airfield and preparations are being made for this plane yeah the plane is called the the gibi yes gibi uh, it's gibi no, no, it's, i think they say gibi oh not gi no g g this is a gif gif thing Whatever. let's not let's just let's keep not. on trucking anyways uh so yeah, we, 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 we cut to cliff who's getting into, we don't know plane. he's cliff yet though. We don't know he's cliff, but we know he cute. Here's the thing. Here's where <laughs> I was. Yes. He's real cute where I, when I talk about the emotional manipulation of all of this, we yeah. get so much. They're front loading us with so much emotion before we even know who anybody is. Right. The swelling strings, that jawline, that damn jawline with this can go all the way to nationals. Ooh. So handsome. Uh, the picture of his gal that he's sticking up there and then the line of stoic white men looking on plaintively. It's all so emotionally manipulated <laughs> and you're just on board from the junk. Like 
this is the point of no return for this film. I feel like if you're not on board with this level of schmaltz, yeah, then then you just leave because there's no room for you here. They're they're taking off in the airplane. Cliff, who we don't know is Cliff yet, yells to the ground or like is talking to them like they can hear him. Right. I'm sorry. You are in a giant old plane that's in a like, tiny space bubble canopy. Right. That seems so claustrophobic. No hearing you. Do you know what it reminded me of? Kind of is the um the Finding Nemo ride at Disneyland. Like oh yeah, that's head, Josh's death it, trap. Oh, it scares the crap out of me. That screen is just tiny. It's like a little space helmet. Uh, so they take off. The flight's going okay. He's flying over these. They call them bean fields at one point. Yeah. And, and we so, get the on-screen text that it's Los Angeles, 1938. It's an abrupt smash cut to, to a, a car ga- chase. A gangster film in the middle of <laughs> rural LA. Right. And just to paint the picture here. So they've got a, there's, there's, you know, these old t- cars from the 1930s, right? Going down like this dirt road. Car in front has got a guy that's like got a case on his, on his seat. Yeah. And is, you know, trying to outrun or run from the people behind him. Directly behind him is a cop car. Yes. And the behind them are the gangsters in the other car. No, those are the feds. Oh, the feds. You're right. Those are the feds. And they, so the, the front car has a gunner coming out of the trunk, right? The boot for any of our UK listeners. (laughs) So, and he's got a Tommy gun that he's just spraying wildly. Spray and pray. The cops are kind of bobbing and weaving and trying to catch them and shoot them. The feds behind them can't quite get a a beat on the front car. And I, I wish the black and white would move out of the way. You see, like all some of the dialogue in this, especially spoken by these FBI agents is so schmaltzy. It is. And it's, this movie, so much of it is aware that it's pulpy, but the performances are so well acted that it feels disingenuous a little bit. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. I have this problem throughout because some people are so, Hey, I'm going to tell you, Hey, see, <laughs> um, and Oh gosh, golly gee. Boo, boo, boo. Yeah. There's some lines that I've wrote down. Everything that are is nonsense. Quite straight and heartfelt and endearing. I gaze into your eyes like the deep well of soul. Like it's, it's discordant at times while they're doing this chase. The, the cop car just runs off the road because there's bullets flying in between it. And at some point cliff and his plane are above them and they just shoot at the plane. Well, he's, he's doing his test flight and he's trying to see what's happening because I mean, how often is, I mean, I know it's LA, but how often is there a high speed chase in rural Southern California. Sure. But why did they shoot at his plane? Because he did that thing that bad drivers do where he steered with the whole vehicle rather than just looking down. Oh, right. And so he, <laughs> it looked like he started to swoop and I guess the guy got spooked. And so he shot up and it hit the plane and the oil. I was like, oh, the oil's not supposed to come across the top like that. Oh, no. The oil is all over his canopy right now. Oh, God, this is my nightmare. Like he can't see and he's in a plane that's going down. And then I was clutching my invisible pearls. Suddenly he punches through just this plexiglass. We both screamed. We both ah! like it was very I felt look, it can't decide if it is trying to actually be a 1930s serial or be an homage to a 1930s serial. I and feel like it's a, the latter. There's no, no, no. It switches the whole oh, time is so? what I'm saying. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And this is one of those moments where it's just like, boom. Hi. That's why we screamed, right? Like it's a comic book moment. Yeah. Um, but some moments are much more tonally serious, dramatic. Yeah. So the car chase ends at the, the airfield. Like they've all just sort of 
culminated there. Yes, the car chase slash now plane crash. Right. Cliff is trying to land this plane on the field and for some reason the the car with the mysterious case is right underneath him the guy in the in the in the car takes the case into the hangar he looks like a guy i dated in high school i don't know who that actor is but he reminds me of this gymnast i dated in high school who looked like you dated a gymnast i dated a gymnast in high school who looked like oh my god like really sharp cheekbones but a heart-shaped face yeah and big almond uh, like a spooky peter pan (laughs) So the gangster that's in the front car, yes, he takes the case, goes into the hangar, and then swaps it with a vacuum cleaner, puts it in the puts it in the case, and then stuffs the package somewhere in the hangar. He takes the case with the vacuum, pa- vacuum, yeah, puts it in his car. This is when he realizes that his gunner is dead, yes, and then just puts the case on top of the gunner, and then puts the car into into drive and then just drives it into a gas like car and then yeah he's thrown the the backpack into the plane gets in the car and drives it as cliff is coming down in that test plane yep and aims the car at cliff and bails out i don't i don't understand he could have just kept driving and cliff would have come down and blocked the cars chasing him so i don't understand aside from just being pulpy and comic-y so that dude tuck and rolls Cliff crashes. It's all these shenanigans. The plane's all crashed and wrecked, but he's saved and they're worried about him. And they're having this argument with the feds about, Hey, are we going to get reimbursed for this? And this movie does not like the FBI circa 1938. Not at all. It's just like, nah, this is your problem. Blah, blah, blah. This is all on you. Where the fed, right? Uncle Sam. See, like it's all this thing. And as they're getting blown off by the feds, or maybe it's just before when it's crashed. I I I noted. Oh, he's got little oil tears. The oil way his tears. goggles had. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is leading into this a little bit more because I love the pulp of this. This is where I realize that Cliff is my favorite character in this when he decks the FBI agent in the face. Yes, and then the FBI agent responds, "He hit me in the kisser." <laughs> I was just thinking, man, I really hope he punches him. And just as I thought that he decked him and you and I both <laughs> cheered because uh, clearly we were thinking the exact same thing. It was thing. so great. What an asshole. And yeah, his partner is just like, well, maybe you deserved it. Yeah. So this is when we cut to Howard Hughes. We don't see him right away and sure. it comes from the back and he's on the phone and this is Terry Quinn does this great kind of, hey, so that's what you're talking. It's totally done. See what it rebuild it. Who? No mistake about that. Wally in no way, no how like it's. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Realize that it's the designer of this thing. The X3, the gizmo that they keep calling it. Right. And he's got this great monologue that's all on the phone about, no, I can't rebuild it. You know, my guy has worked really hard on this, that, and the other thing. And just talking, you know, you, he pulls out like the plans and you see that great art deco art yeah. on the cover and he tosses it in the fire and he says something to the effect of, so says Howard Hughes. Both of us went, holy shit, he's supposed to be Howard Hughes. And we paused it and we looked at it. We were like, wait a minute. Well, who is this guy? I went, oh, it's, oh, it's that guy from Ontario Quinn. And to, to be clear, the, he, the thing that he threw in the fire was the plans for, for the backpack, for the backpack. Cause he was, you know, he's talking to the president or whoever, right? He didn't want this to fall into the, like, he's like, this is, this is too much power for any one person to wield. And all the government wants is to make weapons, right? We cut back to the hangar and they're Cliff and what's his name? Peeve. Peeve are talking with their Bigelow. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So he owns the hangars and they're basically having an argument about rent. 
it's like they just needed like it's just five dollars or something like that which i was like that just doesn't seem that much but then i remember oh yeah this is the 30s, the 30s. <laughs> so yeah guys yeah. is like wait all five, of that over five dollars god <laughs> like this is so I much got, i got five dollars um it, it, and at this point uh cliff calls him a nickel nurser and i that's pretty much my favorite thing yeah like penny, another way to say penny pincher pen- yeah, yeah exactly but it's funny because they're talking about like how he's going to make up for it is this thing called the cloud act the way that the gravitas that they're giving the concept of this clown act honestly sounded like it had something to do with a tube of Mac lipstick and not having a gag reflex. Like they were just so disgusted by the concept. He's just like, I'll do it if I have to. No, you don't want to debase yourself. And I'm just like, what exactly is the clown? Yeah. act? Yeah. And they never really do explain what the clown act is, but we'll get to more on that we later. Get it later. Cliff finds the package in the plane. So they, they take out the jetpack and they start to kind of like mutts around with it. And then Cliff turns it on and subsequently destroys the hangar. They finally get it under control and Peeve pretty much knows how all of this thing works almost immediately. It's like this thing runs on. Well, it's just showing that he's a brilliant, you know, experienced engineer. He's yeah. well, he smells it and that's how he knows it runs on alcohol. It enough. doesn't smell like gasoline. Yeah. The complicating incident, you know, it's, yeah. We're off to the races and and thus we're only like 20 minutes into not even 20 minutes into the movie at this yeah. point and so much has already happened. Yep. And it continued like this movie runs like a bullet train. So we cut to this sort of Greco Egyptian room. <laughs> That's one way of putting it sort of altar slash temple all these carvings and sort of like cultural art. And then this low table of framed family photographs. Like it's just so yeah, like completely out of place. Or I guess it's made made to seem like it's, it's more homey. I guess I, I don't girl, know. I don't know. I don't know what the point. Like it's. It looks like a lobby of a hotel that somebody is living in. You know what? It looks like what I imagine the high roller suites at Luxor look like. Oh my gosh! Yes, that's what it looks like. So this is when we're introduced to, to Timothy Dalton, who's playing Neville. He's wielding a sword. <laughs> well, and Paul Servino as Eddie Valentine. Both of them. Oh, I was yeah. like, holy shit. The mobsters come in and are having are having a meeting with Neville talking about. They lost the rocket. Right. Valentine's kind of over it. And uh, Neville's like getting real heated about it while he yeah. fences around his house. And he, I, I need that rocket today, not tomorrow. Not I need it now. I need it now. And at one point, like he takes his sword and like flicks uh, a flower off of a guy's lapel. Yeah. And is just very He's so mad at flowers in this scene. Yeah, start he, to chops, finish. he chops like these tulips in half. Yeah. They, they sort of finally nonsense. come to this agreement about who's going to do what and whatever and what the money is going to cost and if they're going to still use the mob and they leave and oh, because you know, he, he keeps Valentine keeps the mobster Valentine Paul Sorvino keeps referring to him as this, you know, movie actor and yeah. sort of getting dismissive about it and he's and chops the head off a bunch of tulips yeah so they agree that they're gonna continue to try to track this the device down well neville he's like i'm gonna handle it my, myself or whatever and he he makes this phone call well, i think hedging his bets a little bit and is having two people go after it now because he wants neville wants to know what room valentine's man the one who because he wants to know where he hit the rocket and, and Valentine's so, like, what do you think? You can just walk into the hotel because you're right. a movie star. Yeah. And Neville sends. Well, Neville makes a phone call. He and makes it's a phone call. The, there's, 
Neville makes a phone call cut to this radio that's playing an opera and I didn't bother to look up what opera it is and it pans across the back of the chair to the telephone and he kind of picks it up again. It looks like a comic book panel. It's it's a gorgeous shot and basically gives him the location of of where the gangster that was in the car the hospital room. Yeah, 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 yeah. where where he was to try to get information as as to where the rocket is stored. So then we cut back to uh, Cliff and PV stealing a statue. Like they're literally, they, they sawed a statue off at the feet <laughs> and then put it in the back of their truck I and drove off. I don't know how I missed that. Yeah. That's, that's, that's where that came from. That's and I was so like, funny. okay, uh, sure. They drive out to the middle of a field. They put a stake in the ground attached to the statue and then put the jetpack on the back of the statue. And then proceed to turn on the jetpack. It's just flailing around in the air, going around in circles. <laughs> Cliff so is going to try to go and like Cliff sees that the stake is coming out of the ground. He's like, I'm going to come get it. And then PB's like, no, don't do that. You'll get your head chopped off and whatever. And then, and then uh, they sit there. The stake comes out of the ground and the jetpack just goes into the sky and is gone. Just flies off roll credits end movie spoiler alert it's not it comes from behind them and then comes over them and ends up crashing in the field for a hot second i thought the implication that like superman the implication was it had flown all the way around the earth yeah but i think it just went in a circle for sure up in the sky so it comes back they they finally get a hold of it the statue's head is completely broken off (laughs) um which leads him to the to the realization that i'm gonna need a helmet I, you know, if it's the thrust of the rocket that knocked the head off, I don't know that a helmet's going to help, but I'll believe it in the world of this comic because, but also at one point in the scene, he was like, you know, we've got to return this to, to whoever it is. Cause you know, this is a stolen thing. I'm like, bitches, you just stole a statue. You're not putting that back. Clancy was seriously questioning (laughs) their moral line here. Like they're concerned about the rockets too far, but you stole a statue from out front of the library. Somebody's Somebody's going to notice notice the statue is missing. Yeah. Only like 10 people know the rocket pack is missing. If you go and put the statue back, the head is broken. (laughs) This is, I have a problem with their moral. It's destruction of public property is what it is. It is. He calls him a chowder head at one point, which I also, I felt was (laughs) dialogue in this movie. (laughs) And that's the, the pro. And this is one of those moments where it was just like the, where the discord hit me, right? Because they're saying that dialogue. They're saying things like Chowderhead so seriously. Mm-hmm. There's no irony to it whatsoever. Le- lean in. So after this, Cliff goes to visit his girlfriend, which we don't get her name. I'm pretty sure. Now we see it in her signature because he's like placing the picture of his gal all over the plane and whatever. And he makes sure to get it out of the plane when it blows up. And right. But like, I wasn't tiny. able to read that it's within tiny. that amount of time. Like, yeah, I, I had to get her name from the subtitle when she was talking off screen. Like that was the first time I was like, Oh, her name is Jenny. Okay. Come on writers. You can be a little bit better. About well, this. right. So he arrives at, at her, her dorm room hear or cliffs names or like her 12 times before boarding yeah. house or whatever. And Mrs. Pie, who's the, you know, the, the dorm mother, um, she is played by Pat Crawford Brown. Who's another, you know, big character actor. She was on the Drew Carey show, third rock from the sun, state of grace, Buffy, uh, Bernie match, arrested development goes with like her, like she has a credit list of cameos. She knows who he's there for. So they don't say her name. She comes down and he doesn't greet her by name. Yeah. And then they go off for a night at the movies without anybody saying her name. 
Yeah, it's it's just kind of nonsense. So they end up at the movie theater and we get a newsreel that happened before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was standard. Yeah. In in the films in the in the thirties. And again, we didn't we didn't read about the film ahead no. of time. And it really should have struck, you know, all right, Art Deco, the Rocket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the thirties. Yeah, I get what's going on here. You're sort of like going in. And then suddenly it's, you know, shots of the Hindenburg with the swastika on. It's like, oh my God, Nazis again. This is the third, third time we've talked about Nazis. Yeah, I feel like we've talked this about podcast. Nazi too many times. I don't get it. Nazis again. I was not expecting Nazis to be in this movie. And it like, like Josh said, like it was the thirties. Like, I, I guess we should have, I should have been right. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's the, 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 again, pulp films, pulp comics. That's all, all of this was. Yeah, what, there was um I think one of the one of their inspirations was the Commander Cody films serial films. Yep, of the thirties, like it makes sense. It, but it was just in the moment we were like, oh god, Nazis again. Yeah, here we it, are. We get a little bit of foreshadowing here as well, like with the Hindenburg. Like, well, they call it the Luxembourg in the, the film, Luxembourg. and it's I don't think it's meant to be a direct analog because in actual history, because again, this is set in the real world. Mm-hmm. The Hindenburg happened in May of 37. So like a year and a half before all of this is happening. Got it. And also they make a point to like, say that it's like, they're doing a tour of America. Like it's going to be yes. flying over to York and, and, and again, we're talking about a, to LA. a German airship with swastikas on it. Yeah, like, Could you imagine that? Just, it was well, just before world war two. And this is, you know, it's, it's what happened. Right, but, but that's just so. And in the newsreel, it's woof. like, "Give us a call when you land in Hollywood, boys." And it's like, yeah, it's. Ew. There are aspects of the film where I'm like, "Oh my gosh, wouldn't it have been nice to live in the '30s?" And then I'm I'm abruptly reminded that no, absolutely not, not for anybody. No, but I will make a point though. Cliff, when this is happening, he's like, "I don't believe any of this." Right, like, Nazis are bad, and like, yes, you know, I I guess, and you just want to stroke that uh, cliff of a jaw, yeah. He's aptly named. Woof. We cut to the to the hospital. Right. It's Valentine's Man in the hospital. Um, we get a shot of that cute nurse and a cop because it's the police wing. Mm. It's like the jail wing. A window opens and a very tall man with hideous prosthetics. Yeah. Like again, this is a this is a moment where it feels like it's like this is Dick, Dick Tracy esque. Without anything else in the film really feeling Dick Tracy esque, right? Except the time period. Yeah. So he gets into that hospital room and he's, you know, trying to. He lights a match to wake that guy up. Yeah, right in front of his face, and it was just the whole scene is is dark and pulpy, like it's very yeah. pulpy, and it's pulpy to a level that it doesn't necessarily match some of the other film. And then like he tries to get information out of him, so like he's like starts to like bend his extremities, right? And the cop and the nurse outside the door listening to a radio show where there's like a lot of action actually you know physical comedy lots of foley work that sounds like somebody banging around a room and so they don't hear it until he starts screaming and the radio show ends and they're like oh no because are you all right sir hello who's in there do we do we say his name yet his name is lothar we don't know it for another like half hour we don't know it for another (laughs) half hour but anyways his name is lothar just so that you can get we can have we can track who this is but he literally bends this guy in half. Yes. The nurse and the the, the policeman, they they bust in. The nurse screams because she's oh, never seen anything. Again, this very pulpy. This whole scene is yeah. very pulpy. 
the the cop looks out the window and then you see these little feet on the on the uh on like the little, balcony outside just like shuffling away little foot shuffles it's so cute it is super and so cute. pulpy smash cut to the bulldog cafe and oh, clancy God. had a visceral reaction to this building I, okay so this cafe is like somebody made a pinata of a bulldog blew blew it up to the size of it's a almost storefront. more like front a boston terrier it says bulldog though I know, but uh, I mean, in, anyways, anyways, it's a terrifying dog. Apparently it was on just the backlot tour. Was it Disney's Hollywood studios in Florida? Oh no. There is a, people have seen that. I don't, <laughs> I don't like it. I don't. And it's got it a looks terrifying. The eyes are like these, they're little, the eyes, which you come to find out are little windows, but like. I, I just I just don't like it. And they cut back to this so many times. Here's how visceral it is, I think. Allow me this description and let me tell Go you for it. and tell me if it matches sort of your feeling. This building looks as if a man out of hubris was turned into a dog toy that was then enlarged and turned into a building. Yes, and I hate it. <laughs> But we get in there and my and my first thought was, oh, my God, it's character actress Margot Martindale yes. right there behind the counter. <laughs> What's her name? Oh, it's Millie. Millie, right? Millie. Yes. yes. And she's running the, the bulldog cafe. And we've got Cliff and Jenny from the subtitle. Not Jenny from the blog. Not Jenny, Jenny from the subtitle. From the subtitle. <laughs> they're, they're eating some soup. They're still on a date and in front of like all of these people they know. Right. Everybody in this diner knows it everybody. Was- I, I was getting like these, uh, these sort of like, um, what was the, the movie? Shaun of the dead. Remember how like Sean would always take her to like the Winchester. It's just like, can't we go to somewhere nicer? Frame Roger Rabbit. Yes. Yes. And it's like, can't we go to somewhere nicer? Like, like the, the sea breeze or whatever the hell that place is the called. South seas club, the South seas club instead of the bulldog for all of our dates. No, but I love everybody here. Burr, 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 burr. And Which, then fair enough. But her point is, do we always have to do things out here around the airport? I don't want and, <laughs> and he's, he's sorry about it. She's like, I don't want you to be sorry, Cliff. I want you to tell me where I'm supposed to get my eyebrows done by the airfield. Look at them, Cliff. Look at them. Oh, no. And Margot Martindale slaps that one guy with the spoon because he hasn't told her about the crash. He yeah, just he said it's a bumpy landing. Right. And, and that, so she didn't really, she didn't realize the gravity of the situation. Right. That one guy spills the beans and Margot Martindale slaps him with a spoon. And I was just like, Margot, I hope you wash that spoon before you put it back in that soup pot. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That was my first thought. COVID. <laughs> uh, so she just straight up is like not having it and leaves. She feels hard done by because she, you know, she, she was hopeful about, his his competing at nationals yeah and they're like not after this morning and she so she feels a little silly which i get but this feels a bit of an overreaction no but i also that think said, that like i think this is just to be like this is a pattern of behavior that he has and yes, that and yes, that she yes. is reacting to that in kind and i feel like if it's that much of a reaction that she's getting, then he probably does this sort of shit all the time we're, we're i mean we're getting two days out of their lives throughout this whole film sure but um, the implication is, is that he only thinks about himself and does, and isn't really considered about her. And he shows that by essentially poo pooing her whole acting career. Right. I mean, we can only, we can only infer these from the actions that they're making. Right. But my fault is like Hollywood's a tough biz. Oh Cliff. yeah. Like I get that you're an out of work pilot or whatever, but you know, her potential for a one line scene, that's money. You get money. If you get paid, if you, if you speak, 
Yeah. And especially the, you know, the contracts of the studio system back then, all it takes is a little hop, skip and a jump, you know, Natalie Wood, all that stuff. Oh, she's pretty. She's got a line like this. And this is what she's trying to do. And he's just like acting, get a real job. And it's like, you just decked a man yeah, <laughs> for telling you to get a real job. And now you're trying to bark up this tree with her. No, sir. Yeah. And so she rightfully storms off. Millie tells her, well, go after her. And then they go out. He follows her outside. They kind of, she, she's like, I'm going to go home. I'm, I, I don't want to deal with this. And good for her. Set boundaries. The dude that, that had kind of outed Cliff, the whole situation, the yeah. whole situation comes out. He's like, I'm really sorry about this. I didn't realize that she would have known. And he feels really bad about it. And this is important because he tries to make up for this a little bit later. <laughs> right. So we, we cut, to uh pv's home um where he is taking a you you said it was an old radio like a a metal it looked like it was a radio radio, yeah like it was meant to be a radio um and he is creating a helmet out of it and creates this very neat art deco inspired helmet it's not inspired it is art deco yeah because it's of the period you know what i mean fair enough but you know it's got that like long thing on the back like it's it's very exaggerated the very yeah yeah. the sharp fin but like the rounded corners right it's very dwarven it is it's super neat (laughs) i I, remember the dwarves are art deco and the elves are art nouveau oh Oh, um so yeah we we get the helmet and 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 when he says um you know because Cliff comes in all up in his, his feelings about what happened. And, and PV's PV goes, if she flies the coop, it'll be your fault. It's just like, tell him PV, drag yes, him, drag him, drag him. And he's like, what do you know about women PV? And at this moment, I'm is PV a gay old man. I mean, well, he says Flora Dunworthy or whatever. It's like, I couldn't ever date a girl. Another girl after her. And it's just like, is there, is, is there a love that do not speak its name here? PV? No, he's just an old bachelor. But I mean, this old dude's living with this young hottie. What must people think? Right. Then we cut to a sword fight movie that's being filmed. <laughs> and it takes a minute, but we find out that this is Neville, the actor. In a wig, it's got like It's like an Inigo Montoya wig. Yes, it is. Uh, that's what uh, that's what I thought that they were like parodying for a minute, but I don't remember when that movie came out, so who knows. Well, that came out in the 80s, so maybe there's a little bit of like Well, again, it's a style, right? Sure. Yeah. It's those swashbuckling movies of the 30s. Yeah. So, so they're having a sword fight on the stairs and then they get down to the bottom and then the, the princess comes up and it's just like, I will lend you my lips for a kiss, whatever. I don't remember what the line was, and but it Jennifer was bad. Jennifer Connelly had said it. And this is, this is why they fought earlier. Cause oh, right. that was the one line and she gave it to hit to cliff. And he was like, what are you talking about? And you know, she was really hopeful that she would get this line in this film. And the woman who is read the, her read was just, it was not good. It wasn't it was good. Not a good effort. Like, <laughs> Neville to like break out of character, stop, and then redo the scene. Right. So. And the director being like, I know you're acting, but you have to act like you're not acting. You have to act, act you have to be acting, but you can't act like you're acting. Right. And it's this whole thing, and she's <laughs> a blonde actress, and it all felt kind of schmaltzy. And then it, you know, it sort of pans back to Jenny and her friend, like, background actors i mean it's like a scene from extras but they're ragging on your audition was so much better it's like well i guess that doesn't matter when you're the producer's niece it's like oh shit hollywood (laughs) hasn't really changed in 90 years no um what do i know i've never worked in hollywood (laughs) so we then see cliff uh come onto set um 
uh, just trying to reconcile. In. Like, but I, I don't understand how he got there in the first Here's place. The th- well, I mean, I guess he knew where they were filming, where the backlots sure. were. I mean, it's again, it's in the thirties. People know where the studios are, but how did you get on the lot anyway? But he slips in as they're shutting that barn door, and I was like, and I had the thought, shouldn't this be a close set? How is it? I guess, I guess if you're six foot two and a jaw like granite and Right, they you just know, assume Kelly that Clarkson's you're a part of a eyes. You could just slide your way onto a film set. Yeah. Um. So he's kind of slinking around the back. Uh. He starts. Uh. Uh. Like, I don't remember what he was looking at. Was he just looking at her and then pushes down the wall? Well, he was behind the scenery and he's sort of peeking through the scenery, watching the scene and seeing her in it. Yeah. And he just got too close to the flats and the whole thing fell on top of Neville. Right. Rather than apologizing and running away or, or in any way trying to mitigate the situation, he asks for and says her name for the first time, Jenny. Yeah. Just, Hey, I'm looking for Jenny. Like, come on, literally hurting people on set. And like, as we know you've seen a movie (laughs) because that happened in a previous scene. So one might expect that you would understand what, you just did by causing yeah. the set to fall while they were filming and then asking for your girlfriend's name so that she can promptly be fired from the film, which she was. And, uh, but that's before they go behind the set and have a very loud conversation about the jetpack, like talking about the jetpack, like, Oh, we found this engine and, and whatever. And, and on the other side of these literally linen thin walls, you dummy i just kept my the note that i put was <laughs> shut up you gorgeous idiot these walls are literally made of linen right <laughs> as he's talking about this rocket that he found and neville's on the other side and he's like Maha! with his with his page boy hair and that mustache oh just gosh. looking so devious because then he's peeking through the scenery and like the light on his face again is so pulpy it's like right out of a comic book but it's being played so genuinely. Yeah. He overhears that happening. Uh, They end up parting ways. Uh, Neville ends up going to the director and being like, Hey, I was, I overreacted about her. And I, I think that we shouldn't fire her and whatever, or yeah. Cause he's got an idea. Right. Uh, So then he ends up, Neville ends up confronting Jenny and asks her to dinner and says, do you want to go to dinner to the salt? Lake? what is the club? The South Myth? seas club, the South seas club. Yeah. So he comes up to her and like starts flirting with her. He even fixes his wig before he talks to her. Yeah. Straightens himself up. And I suddenly felt like I was watching the backstory of one of those dark Hollywood story, like black Dahlia type. Cause like he just accidentally stabbed his co-star when oh, that yeah. wall came down. I was just like, Oh God, is this a murder mystery now? Is this part of the plot? No, it's, it's, we never get back to no, it. He sends never, him to the hospital. Never resolved. Yeah. Again, this film takes place over the course of two days. So who knows what happens to that actor? And honestly, what happens to the film? <laughs> so then we cut to the airfield um, where people are gathering for an air show. Um, PV's there. Um, the guy that outed Cliff at the restaurant is also there. He's selling programs with his daughter. Yeah. Um, but Cliff is not yet. Apparently he's running late. Not well, sure. he's coming back from having destroyed the set. Oh, right. <laughs> and consequently, like had an argument, you know, he, he and Jenny had a falling out. Right. Because she lost her job. Yeah. But like, yeah, it's a big event. There's people in the crowds. Everybody's dressed up like it's this is just the thing you do. 
on October fifteenth, nineteen thirty-eight, because they keep reminding us that it's October fifteenth, nineteen thirty-eight. Throughout, it's Valentine's Day, right? What doesn't he say Happy Valentine's Day at some point? The character's name is Valentine. Oh, yeah, yeah, because Valentine's Day is in February, not October. No, and that okay, neat. It, Apparently, I'm not paying that much attention. Well, I mean, we'll get there, but that's one of those lines that's like super pulpy, but was said very seriously, right? So they're worried. Yes, they're worried that Cliff isn't there and Malcolm looks down about it and apparently decides that he's going to do the clown show. Yeah. And so he he goes off and gets in a plane and apparently completely dresses up in a clown suit, which with is makeup. Okay, this is where it's like, OK, so I guess the clown show is kind of degrading. But can anybody in those stands really see that you're dressed as a clown when you're flying a plane? Exactly. It doesn't make any sense. It's the same. It's the same aspect of like trying to talk to people on the ground from the top of a plane when you don't have a headset. And apparently he hasn't flown since World War One when he was in the war and had said something earlier about, you know, being rusty or whatever or something right. like that flies against these other stunt flyers and Cliff's just like, well, I gotta go. I gotta use the rocket and save him. Cliff does this thing. Anytime he's going to do like he on the side of the plane at the beginning, when he was going into the dorm with Jenny where he sticks gum on something for luck. So PV excavates out of the gum, out of dirty hands in Cliff's mouth and pulls that gum out, fishes it out. And it's for seconds. He's digging around in his mouth and then smacks it on the back of the rocket. He's like for luck and kicks him out. So he soars off into the sky. He's trying to get a hang of how to fly with the rocket because this is the first time that he's actually flying it. Yeah, my question was like, how does he steer? I think it's his arms. I think it, you had mentioned that. Like, I think his arms. Yeah, and I and think it's like, ridiculous. Yeah, it, and then his head turning with that. That's why his head has a little fin on it. Got it. You know that that's that's how that all works. Yes. Um, anyways. So, so he, fl- he flies up and saves him. He does, but not before knocking him out before. Because he punches a hole in the bottom of the plane and scares the crap out of him. Because of like, course he does. Why did he think this was going to, how did he think this was going to turn out? Oh no. And he like jerks back and pulls the, the control stick up and knocks himself in the head with it. And this, this air save is nonsense. Like the whole thing. It's, it's, it's just borderline a, slapstick comedy. It is. But he finally gets him down and everybody's losing their mind because there's this rocket man and whatever. And, and this airfield apparently has like a bank of 10 telephones <laughs> in 1938, which seems the front wild. page. Hold the front page. Yeah, it was a man. He was a rocket man. He was a man with a rocket. Hey, uh, Front front page news. See, extra extra. Read all about it. It was yeah. all of that sort of super pulpy nonsense. So Cliff ends up uh, doing this very graceful water landing, <laughs> <laughs> where he skips across like a stone on the water, and then ends up like on the side of a, a marsh. I don't know. I don't know where like a marsh pond is. Yeah, something yeah. like that. PV <laughs> comes out. Like, Cliff, like looking around. <laughs> He's, he literally comes out of the reeds beside him. It's like over here and the reaction shot that Alan Arkin gives is just pure gold because he just turns like I'm over here and then he like whips his head whips around his head over and then and the, it's, it's it's we watched it funny. like five times. It was hilarious. <laughs> and so they, he gets him out of the water. They they get to the truck. The truck is not starting for whatever reason. And somebody's on their tail. I think it's the feds. No, it's it's, it's, it's the gangsters. It's the gangsters because they, they, they were sticking out like sore thumbs at this. Everybody else is just sort of like des- dressed for a day in the country. And these guys come yeah. rolling out looking like the good fellas. Like, how do they not stick out like a sore thumb? I mean, basically. So they're chasing them down and the truck won't start. So Cliff tells PV to put it into neutral and PV you steer. To- I'll push. And, and Cliff gets in the back and then activates his rocket 
backpack and then zooms off. off. And now I I do want to note that like the effects for this movie, I mean, this is 1991. They're done very well. So well, Disney spent money on this film. Clearly. Yeah. That was a mixture of stop motion. Um, They also did some like movieola speed ups um, Mm -hmm. where they were like making the fast motion and things like that. So, I mean, it it was, it was a good mix of that. Uh, ILM was the one that was, uh, that did most. No surprise there. Yeah. Um, So yeah, it was industrial light and magic for anybody who doesn't know. Correct. But yeah, they, they sort of like fast motion zoom off into there. I don't know how cliff his body is pushing the weight of a truck that fast. Like, I mean, it was like, it was like a Tesla going from zero to 60, like in, in two seconds. Honey, like it it's was, like I said at the beginning, you've passed the point of no return. You have to believe that this can all happen in this world at this point, or else you should have left a long time ago. Fair enough. Yep. So later that day, cause again, it's still the same day, like the afternoon papers. Yeah. They're, they're all, they're all like trying to interview Bigelow who is like trying to come up with the name of the rocket man. And he ends up coining the term rocketeer after seeing the word pioneer out of his window. Mm-hmm. But it's just, it's crazy to me that the turnaround, like why why did this film need like why couldn't it be over the course of a week? There was enough happening because because uh, it's the same day and this is like the afternoon papers and then cut to like Cliff reading those headlines, yeah, and like kind of smirking to himself and a girl behind him like oh I wish he rescued me and he's like rah, rah, rah. it's a very classic kind of like comic book origin story trope. Yeah, the next scene we cut to the feds showing up at Bigelow's office and all papers and all this stuff has been torn apart before that. After the girl was like, "Mm, it it cuts to Neville reading the same headline and like being angry about it. And so he's going to send Lothar out. Yeah. To find more information to talk to Bigelow because Bigelow's the one who's who they're talking to. Like you said. And then, so they show up there and they find Bigelow dead bent in half in his office apartment, whatever. Looks like somebody was already here. Like something. See, (laughs) Yeah. And then they fight. He's like, oh, holy. He looks like he's been folded in half. He was trying to write something. And it's the, turns out, you know, it's the impression of a note that had the address of PV and Cliff's place. Right. And the idea there is, is that Lothar also has this and gets there first, gets there first. Uh, So, so. This is where a lot of the French farce entrance exit stuff begins for this film. Yeah. Because Lothar shows up first. PV's inside working on the helmet. No, he's working on something. Yeah. yeah, I don't know what he was working on. Maybe maybe it was the jet pack. No, because the jet pack's beside him on the chair. Oh, right. When he hears Lothar coming in and just as Lothar's trying to get in, Cliff arrives at the other side of the house. And so Cliff bangs in the door as Lothar is trying to get after PV and, uh, you know, hilarity ensues. Yeah, and PV has hidden the jetpack as a lamp. He just put a lampshade on it. <laughs> it was just all right. I mean, Lothar's kind of tall. Maybe it's just below his eye line. Maybe. But anyway, the feds then show up, and Lothar reacts by firing outside the door, and the feds react in the most insane way. This movie does not like they, the FBI, a la the thirties. They literally cut their house in half. With Tommy guns, just wanton like, spray and pray. It is. It's just. What did they think they were accomplishing? And they managed to escape. And as they're All running, three to, of them escape. Yes, as like Lothar gets away one way, and um, the house P- doesn't escape. The house does not escape. <laughs> PV and Cliff go out the other way, and as they're running like down the lane past you know a neighbor's house, 
a neighbor just kind of like pokes his head outside like this is all only slightly abnormal when yeah. really you know 10 tommy guns have just chopped a house in half pretty much we then cut to the fancy dinner at the oh my god south seas club neville and jenny are at the south seas club she's in this gorgeous white dress very and he's very like gorgeous plum dinner jacket with that I mean, it's an Errol Flynn mustache. Like his, the allegory here is Errol Flynn. Like he's very like Errol Flynn did all those swashbuckling films, and yep. this is this is a point later. But like he's he's suave and he's got that accent and yep. smooth, and he's laying it on heavy. Yeah, when they're walking in, like a, a guy named is like, "Hey, Clark," <laughs> and he's it's Clark Gable. And like it was he's, Clark Gable. Yeah, yeah, he's you know. I mean, Winking an actor playing Clark Gable, but yes, they get sat. And then, you know, it cuts to the stage and suddenly an oyster arrives and opens up and out pops Melora Harden. Yes. Jan Levinson from The Office. Yep. A a very young, like I didn't. Very young. So young. And it never even struck me because I knew she sang, but she said, I was like, who is this? Do I know who this actress is? And she sang really well. So gorgeous. Those Cole Porter songs. Ugh. did she ever sing in The Office? Yes. In the, um. In Threat Level Midnight, she plays like a cabaret singer. Oh, that's wonderful. Yes. Okay. That makes, that's awesome. At one point, this other dude, I don't remember what his name was because it doesn't matter, walks up, introduces himself. W.C. Fields. Yeah. He's like a famous like comedian and sort of like raconteur of the, of the era, but he is smarmy. So smarmy. Fuck. He's like, delighted to meet you, dear. And then there's a shot of just her chest. And he goes, like the camera pans down from her face to her boobs boobs again boobs boobs like and, and it was in it's it, th- that shot it felt like it was there for a century if someone asked like, me today ugh. what are you most surprised that you talked about on this podcast that you never thought you would talk about on this specific podcast boobs and nazis yeah, yeah boobs and nazis 100 percent uh so we're still on the shot of the boobs for probably another 37 minutes. Um, <laughs> at this point, someone uh, ducks down and whispers in Neville's ear and he leaves Jenny with WC fields, right, which is so gross. I'm like suddenly Ugh. concerned for her virtue. He calls her my little kumquat. I'm just <sighs> my little oh kumquat. My. Why is that <laughs> a thing? It's so gross. Smash cut back to the diner. Their secret yeah. hideout is in the head of that dog. Seriously, y'all, every time oh the, the bulldog cafe was shown, Clancy would just go, I hate it. I, I, I do hate it, and I continue <laughs> to hate it. You can't change my mind on that. But the fact was, is they were inside the dog's head. Yes. And this is where you realize that, oh, the eyes are windows. And yes. it's just it, it just kept getting worse. They're up, they're up there kind of like... Uh, they're talking about needing to call the feds right like this caused some trouble we just need to call the feds we've got to get this we've we've got to get this out of our possession and cliff resolves to go do that and he opens that hatch and there's margo martindale and malcolm malcolm yeah malcolm and and millie millie yeah malcolm and millie yes and they say bigelow's dead and she goes cliff what's going on and Clancy goes acting and I went, don't you come for character actress, Marco Martin deal. You do not come for her. Yeah. She is chewing up the scenery because that is what needs to be done in this movie. And nobody else is doing it. But character actress, Marco Martindale. Yeah. Some gangsters show up. Is it the mob or is it the gangsters? Valentine has sent his men. Yeah. That's what, that's what they were learning <laughs> is that it's cliff that needs to be found or whatever. And so, and they trace him back to the diner. 
Right. So they show up at the diner. They start like roughing up the diner, destroying like coffee mugs and radios and things. And again, it feels like a scene from a different, this feels like a scene from a mob movie. It does. And because it's it's played very seriously and dramatically. And like at one point they're questioning everybody and like they grab PV and put his face to the griddle and it's all very scary. Yeah. And for a minute I was like, Oh my gosh, are they actually going to push his face against that griddle? This is not the, this is a PG movie. It felt like a Scorsese movie, this whole diner scene. Yeah. Like no one told these people that they were in a pulp movie. Like it's a very heavy scene. It feels like it's from a different movie, but so they just start to deduce who Jenny was because one of them notices the the name on the wall. They send, hold on. (laughs) It sounds like it's like for a good time call Jenny. No, it's (laughs) like there was, there's pictures and like graffiti and it's like Jenny and cliff and like her right, phone because number because he's loves her and just wants to write her name. Oh God, but it is her surface. phone number. So it kind of is like for a good time call Pretty Jesus. But I think it's because it's maybe that's just the phone that he uses. And is the implication that he lives here? No, he doesn't live there because he lives with PV. Oh, right. But why would he have the, maybe PV the doesn't have a phone. Maybe. maybe I don't know. Maybe that's unanswered questions comma or things we didn't pay attention to because there was so much else going on in this movie. But also doesn't matter. So anyways, th- they pick up on that. They leave two of the gangsters there. Two of them take off to go, uh, to find, find Jenny. Jenny. Um, well, I mean, they realize cause they call and they realize that that's she's who gone she's, to the club. She, that's who she, he's already at the club with. Right. And so th- they're heading off to that. They leave two of them that are left behind. Right. That's the, that's how he escapes is by doing is by like, overpowering so they end up overpowering these gangsters in in the yes cafe uh cliff like takes out one of them while they weren't looking and then uh everyone else jumps on the other guy yeah millie takes a pan and just bops the guy in the head after alan arkin like leapt on his back like it's a whole yeah thing. and then yeah <laughs> millie comes behind uh, and i told clancy i was like this is why you don't sleep on character actress margo martindale because she's going to come out with that frying pan and kick this guy's ass yeah so they, they subdue him. They, he goes upstairs. They're putting it in because that's when they realize that one of the gunshots nicked the tank. Oh, right. And <laughs> Cliff's like, can you fix it? He's like, ah, no, well, I can fix it in a couple of days, a couple of days, couple hours. He's just like, we don't have that kind of time. And so he takes the gum that was on there and he sticks it in the, the hole. Gum. He goes, let's hope our luck sticks. And he flies off to the South Seas Club because he knows yeah. that's, that's where they're heading. And this is when it becomes like a French farce with all of these entrances and exits. She's there and Cliff's getting there and uh, Lothar's getting there and the gangsters are getting there. Everybody's arriving and coming and going and moving. And then Cliff is there and he hides the, um, and he hides the, the jetpack in the laundry room of this club. Right. Puts it in, puts it in the pile and I'm like, they're going to try to do that laundry and they're going to take that jetpack. And Josh is like, no, they're not going to do that. But lo and behold, they come back and there's like 18 piles of laundry. Yeah, They just the added to the piles. It's right. not, it's not like a washerwoman was like, Oh, look at this. And like blasted <laughs> off out the kitchen window. <laughs> I mean, oh I'd love to see that movie. God. Um, so we're then introduced to Cliff the waiter. Yeah, because he he like stole a perfectly tailored waiter's jacket yeah. from that laundry room that happened Spot to fit on. his like very long torso, very long but trim and just Man a visage. little toned torso. And again, just that jaw. <laughs> yeah. Neville's still really trying hard to get. Yeah, he's trying to get him. information out of out of Jenny and he is like haphazardly delivering a trying to get a note to Jenny to be like, Hey, come Cliff in. is he, well, he, he puts it in her bowl and she yeah. reads it. Um, and she's ignoring any attempt to communicate because honestly, at this point she still thinks that he's just 
he's jealous or or whatever or trying jealous. to she says it later she yeah, thinks he's jealous yeah. and that he's doing this big ruse because she's like he's probably got some harebrained scheme that he's cooked sure. up but like he's like haphazardly delivering the soup the soup ends up getting on neville neville and then she starts talking about the the jetpack and he pours her drink on her right and so she ends up getting up from the table and and uh um leaving to the bathroom yes quote unquote yeah quote unquote and then uh meets up with cliff and jenny in a bush in the middle of this because the note said meet me at the fish asap or whatever and so they're underneath a fish statue that is also on the backlot tour at disney's hollywood studios or was at least one point there was a a link it there was like a main street something something yeah yeah anyway so yes there he's trying to explain everything to her under this bush and she thinks he's jealous he's like no 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 neville's trying to get the rocket like all of it like you know it's all connected yeah and she actually kind of like is like okay all right i understand what's going on she says give me one reason that i should believe you and he's like because if anything happens to you, I don't know what I'd do with myself or something like that. Just, I would Aww. lose my mind. I'd lose my mind. So if anything pulpy. were to happen, for, if anything were to happen for you, I would go crazy. So cute. Yeah. And then everyone's converging. He runs back because well, he tells he, her to leave. Yeah. He tells her like, go out, get in the cab and leave. That, those were her instructions. Go to your mother's. I think he's something. Yeah. And go to red. Yeah. Go to your parents in Redlands. Exactly. Away. At the same time, the big guy is Lothar. Lothar is coming into the club. They have like, it's kind of, again, kind of like a farce. She's picking up her coat from the coat check. As he's dropping his hat hat off. off, And then they just both cross each other's paths, not knowing who each other are, whatever. But also Lothar walking into this club, like he owns the goddamn place. I thought he was going to like walk because he's so tall and that door is so short. I thought that like they were going to have his head, take a chunk out of the door. And I would have loved that. I (laughs) I know. Push it a little bit further, push it a little bit further. (laughs) So at this point, they all realize that each other is at the club. Everybody that they're looking for is there or everyone they're trying to get away from is there. Right. Cliff starts running through the kitchens being chased by Lothar and the gangsters. Cliff runs into the kitchen as being chased by Lothar and the gangsters. And yes. I feel like we've, I feel like I've seen this scene in like so many movies where they're like just pots and pans are flying out oh, everywhere. Yeah. You know, Jurassic really causing Park danger. has this scene. Um, Ratatouille has this scene. The movie about Bobby Kennedy has oh, this yeah. scene. Ugh. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's both tropey and, and I don't know, true to life. But yes, we've seen this scene a lot. Finally, he gets back to the laundry room and that's when he sees all the laundry bags. He's like, I don't know. I don't know which one's my rocket pack. So, but he ends up finding it in time and then rocket. He uses the rocket up the laundry chute, up, up the laundry chute into the women's bathroom and comes blowing out of there's a hatch apparently in the women's bathroom that they just throw their their like like hand towels, towels because you know paper towels aren't a thing then got it flies through that all these women are like oh and, and then, then like flies through the women's supper club or something yeah upstairs exactly. <laughs> and then he's just flying I'm sorry, is that a thing women's supper club i'm sure it was in the 30s got it and then he's just flying around the main room of this club just lighting everything on, on fire, fire with that jetpack just he also has that fun snail ride for a minute. Well, yeah, so yeah, they they realize that they've got to shut all the doors to, to trap him in. 
And as they're like doing this, like a fly. because Jenny's outside and she realizes what's happening and tries to come back in and he lands on this ice sculpture of a snail and then like rides it, rockets it out the door. And it's funny because like it looks, it's a plastic thing that he grabs onto. Yeah. And then when it slides through the glass door, it's very clearly an ice sculpture. And that's how she's able to run back in. And she ends up getting the upper hand on Lothar and knocking him out and freeing uh, Cliff Finally, he realizes he can escape through the stained glass window by looking up and he's just going to rocket straight up. And even as he's doing it, the gangsters are shooting him. And all I can think is you're literally just going to rain more glass down on yourself. What are you doing? Right. Like I was expecting that like all of it to come down and hit them. That doesn't happen. But but anyways, he rockets out of the top like Willy Wonka and is gone. Uh, Jenny, who had every opportunity to, to leave. leave like there was literally like a distraction have been flying out the roof and gone and then none of this would have but neville sees her and to steal a phrase from one of my favorite true crime podcasts true crime obsessed out comes chloroform and knocks her out i was aghast i was just like oh but you just don't see that anymore <laughs> i feel like no. seeing that in the film is a very dated reference because it's gross Insanely it's dangerous. predatory it's predatory yeah for what sure it it's very very predatory and not okay speaking of which we she, cut to jenny in, in his, his bed. bed now look he put that chloroform over her nose and mouth did he touch her lipstick up because it's not smeared oh i made a point to oh notice. no and it makes it that much creepier like it him does. just her passed out and him like oh yes my little turtle dove i will Perfect those cherry red lips. So and she ends up waking up before um, Neville comes into the room and she kind of sees Neville open a secret bookcase. He's futzing with the bookcase and it kind of moves. Right. She then sees him start to come. She goes back to bed and like uh, uh, pretends to sleep. He then sits by her very gingerly well, and he like comes in with booze oh right booze and the smelling salts yeah and she's like huh, huh, huh and he's you know trying to be all charming and whatever and he she takes her the drink from him and she goes do you have to drug all your women to seduce them and i was just like oh it's girl, gross. drag it's him so creepy drag him and then he starts using his movie lines on her. Yeah. Like literally. And she's a smart woman and it's just is. Like catching on to it. He's like, Oh, well that's that, but he's playing that's it that. and so straight. Yeah. And it's just like, Oh my goodness. Yeah. She's clocking she every no line. Shit. She's like, Oh, that's, you said that with what, Greta Garbo was, was one of them and it's yeah. some made up film. And so he gets flustered when she keeps calling him out and runs to his closet. And he goes, you must be very uncomfortable in that dress. Here's, here's a couple of negligees. I just happened to have in my closet. Who wore those last? When was the last time those were dry cleaned? Yeah. And like one of them is this like black see-through. Just see-through, totally see-through number. One is like, like a silk robe and the other is completely translucent. Exactly. And that's the one he ends up picking for her. And she's like, well, let me go take this into the bathroom and put it on. And so she, she takes it from him, goes into the bathroom. Yeah. Says, Hey Neville, can you come in here for a minute and help me? And he busts open the doors immediately. Like this bitch was on the other side of the door <laughs> listening because he's fucking gross. And so then gross. she, he goes, so like, can you help me unzip my, my dress a bit? And while he's doing that, she grabs a vase, knocks this guy in the head, knocking him out 
Yes, bitch, a, get it. She's a Oof. fucking plus with hitting guys on the head yes, with things. Yes, 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 yes. And then she finishes that scene with, I played a scene with Neville Sinclair. And she's like, yes, <laughs> bitch. But again, like I needed, I needed a little like stank on that. I need a little sass on it because she played it so seriously and so straight. I'm just like, just elevate a little bit more. We yeah. just go a little bit further with this. <laughs> it was great. And then she is a klutz <laughs> just immediately afterwards. She's sneaking Almost around trying to get out, kicks over a candle. Why is that candle lit and placed on the floor? Yeah, I don't know. And just beyond this down the stairs, Lothar's got like a plate of wings that he's about to tuck into. <laughs> he's just like, mm, can't have my wings yet. Have to go see. So, so silly. She goes up to the bookcase where he saw him futs him with the book, pulls the book that he was that he was uh Neville. Neville or that Neville can't just was, use pronouns willy nilly. Fair enough. The book that Neville was what's Mutton with, uh, and it opens a secret door into like little hidey hole kind of office. There's stuff pinned up on the wall. There's like a radio. And, yeah. And she picks up the, on the radio and she's just going to try to call. Hello. Hello. Is anybody there? And then suddenly we hear German German over the radio and she puts two and two together. Well, and she looks over and sees a, a book, presumably one of, um, I don't know, Mein Kampf or something. Sure. But it's, you know, it's an all black book with a swastika stamped on the cover. And this is where that Errol Flynn comparison kind of comes home to roost because there was a, a biography that came out at one point that was mostly unsubstantiated completely unsubstantiated that really made these yeah, things it, that errol flynn was a, like a nazi spy a nazi supporter right um but it's a, there's, there's no evidence and nobody isn't. and yeah it was completely refuted in the 80s like but it took but the time between it getting refuted and this film being made like meant that that image of errol flynn was still in people's minds and oh for sure yeah, I think it's also worth noting, like, D- Disney did some changes to characters in this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, Jenny was originally named Betty. And was modeled after Betty Page, right? Right. Like, that was the And her original profession was a nude model. And when Disney came on board, that all changed. That her all name changed to Jenny, and then she became a aspiring actress. So, which, yeah, there's these different yeah. sort of character adjustments that have been made. But anyway, she's, um, you know, she realizes he's a Nazi, and then he's there because she tries to call well she tries to use the radio to get a hold of somebody yes and she's then, like he's a he's a what say it he's a nazi uh, or a, f- no, a fascist or uh, he, yeah he, he goes through a, a whole things. bunch of things it's like a fascist it's all true it's just yeah. very very comic book villain and delightful acting acting lothar grabs jenny and then presumably takes her hostage because they're gonna they're gonna try to use her as bait to get the jetpack back yes we're back at the dog and cliff has has come back snuck back in right it's nighttime Mm -hmm. he's trying to call the feds finally no yeah he he's yeah because he was he was getting on the phones to call the feds and at that time the feds then bust into the Yes, that's right. And they drag him back to Howard Hughes's office. Right. Where PV is because PV wasn't, he was like, Oh no, where's PV? Right. Well, PV has been chatting up, chatting up with Howard Hughes. Apparently. Which I mean, I, I mean, Hey, that's probably somebody he has a lot of respect. Apparently for. Like, two very a, brilliant yeah. engineering minds because they're talking about improvements that can be made on the design using the drawing that PV had made. Yep. This is when they kind of clue them into the Nazi plot. They play a, uh, a reel that has been smuggled out of Germany. 
which they, they mentioned that like somebody died to get this out. They played test footage first that showed the Germans attempts at making a rocket pack. Right. And they exploded. exploded, which like we saw somebody die. Well, no, no, no. He got patted out in that footage. Oh, he did. Yeah. Yeah. You see him. But I mean, he's on fire. And then, you know, Howard, Hughes goes, you know, Howard Hughes says, but you know, I know what they're planning and it, it was propaganda film that they got smuggled out. Right. It's very like, it shows, you know, these sort of squadrons of flying German soldiers going over the throughout Europe and over the Pacific to conquer America. And all I can think is, I mean, this is terrifying, especially for the time, but it just seems so impractical. I feel like you could take out a squadron of individual human beings who aren't otherwise armored relatively easily. I mean, unless it's just like they, they use them to sort of infiltrate places that are harder to get into. I Maybe that's know. what it is. Again, propaganda. Who knows? But yeah, but that's the concern. And so Howard Hughes is like, you know, you've got to give me the rocket. And the feds are like, we've got you on all these charges. He's like, I can't. They've got my best girl. And it's all this, this pulpy. Yeah. And so. Shantae, you stay. Shantae, you stay. Cliff basically not wanting to give up where the rocket is. He does he fight to get out of the room? Like, how does that? I don't remember how that. Yeah, he happens. decks that same FBI agent oh, right. again, punches him again and then in the jumps off the balcony out of this office and grabs onto a plane model and sort of like hang glides, like hang zip glides lines, out. zip lines out of the out of the hangar. Yeah, and then the plane detaches from the 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 track that it's on and then continues to fly going. out. And and Howard's like. I guess that design works. He's like, I guess that son of a bitch will fly. And like, <laughs> I feel like this is a very nerdy aviation reference that I could yeah. not get. My, my like maybe like, yeah, maybe the plane is a certain plane that he, I feel I like we know. should call Eric because Eric's an engineer for Boeing. I feel oh, like this is enough. a reference he would have gotten. <laughs> if I had thought ahead, we could have had him call in for this one. But how does he find out that they're at the Griffith Griffith observatory? They call him. They threat the Valentine calls him. Oh, right. He's like, we've got your girl. Here she is. <laughs> it's all of that. It's like, meet us at the Griffith Observatory right. at 430, I think, or whatever time it was. Sure. And come alone. I will kill you. Kill your dame. See? And this was 430 a.m., right? Yeah, because it's still very dark. And it's still the same day. I, I mean, mean, well, now I guess presumably hours. it's the 16th. Whatever. It, this all happens over two days. But he lands um, and Valentine's there with Neville and Jenny. And, you know, he does that walk through all the guns as, you know, it's the very, it's a very heroic moment. Yeah. He walks through all of the gangsters and they all sort of part. And then they, he gets up to, to Neville and he's there. They start having, you know, a back and forth and like, you know, let her go. And, and then I'll give you the jetpack. You give me the jetpack and then I'll let her go. And then he takes the gun and points it at Jenny's, Jenny's head. And he's like, just give me the jetpack. And then Cliff the, asks Valentine what it's like to be working for a Nazi. Right. And Valentine makes a 180 and completely is like, you know what? Yeah, I'm a bad guy. I might make my money dirty, but I'm not a Nazi or or he's like, but but I'm I'm 100% American. I'm a, I'm a goddamn patriotic mobster. Thank you very much. (laughs) And then Neville, like Rouse Schnell's for a whole like squadron of Nazis. So I had like these like PTSD esque, like moments bed to when bed knobs, when all of the Nazis just started coming out of the bushes from everywhere. Like that happens again. Like, but in this one, Nazis die. They do. Yep. So the Nazis surround the, and it's all just, it's building almost comically. All of the Nazis are, are, are surrounding them. You see the big blimp come over the observatory. Well, even, even before that, like the layers here are like, it's, it's cliff, the rocketeer. And then yeah. it's Valentine and, 
Um, Neville. Yep. And then the Nazi thing happens and Valentine's men turn on Neville and Neville's like, ha ha, here are my men. And the Nazis come up and then there's a blimp. And then there's them. And then it's just like, it's climax. And then again, like spotlight. Oh, who now? These big giant it, spotlights. It's open. the feds. And it's, so it's just like ring upon ring upon ring upon ring. Yeah. And so the FBI then shows up on the outside of that and is then surrounding them. Like it's, it's so much. It's so much. And it's just, it's like the, it's the gunfight at the Griffith observatory. At one point I turned to Clancy. I was like, Oh, we've been there. <laughs> and I, this was filmed there. And it was filmed right there. And it was just so it was meaty. It was, I, I don't hate it. I honestly yeah, don't hate it. There was it. one good shot. The one FBI guy and then the one mobster guy, both fire, like standing next to each other, looking at the enemy. Realizing, my enemy is my friend. Right. We've got a Yeah. And then they, they end up start shooting at the Nazis and yeah. it, it, it was great. Meanwhile, Neville escapes to the roof of the observatory with, with Jenny, Jenny and the blimp is hovering above the Griffith observatory and they ascend with Lothar to this blimp. Cliff is able to fly up, up and away and makes his way. He grabs a gun and makes his way to the blimp lands on it. Grabs actually manages to grab hold of like one of the, st- like one of the rudder cables. Yeah. It tears that. And then subsequently tears some of like the cloth off of it. Some of the envelope. The envelope. That's the terminology. Envelope. Oh, it is. They mention it. Well, that's fun. Yeah, I just feel really smart knowing that. And then disables obviously them turning, and so the 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 Nazi driver is not. They can't steer the blimp, <laughs> and so they can't. send Lothar out to check what's going on. And just as Cliff is about to come in, Lothar opens the trap door and knocks the gun out of his hand. Yeah. What was even the point? He, he sort of backs off, loses his grip, whatever. Lothar comes out and is very menacing. And then, yeah, he puts on a belt that has a tether on it. And like, so now he's tethered to the blimp. Honey, your it, waist is so long. That chunky <laughs> belt just does not look right on you. Sweetie. They start fighting. You've got such big hands already. Why are you going to have this giant <laughs> oh belt? My gosh. Honey. Anyways, they start fighting. Lothar gets pushed off of the side of the blimp. Looks like he hits the side and, and, I thought he died at this point, but I should have been. Everybody thought he died. Lothar's like a cat in this movie. Yeah. (laughs) Because he, yeah, he knocks off out of the front and comes in through the like viewing window for the captain, knocks knocks the captain out just as they're talking about. He's the (laughs) finest captain in the German army. Knocks him straight out the window. Yeah. Again, it becomes a farce. Everybody's getting thrown out of this damn blimp for the next 20 minutes for everybody. all of act three. Everybody, but the the, the, the yeah. three like top build actors get thrown out of this blimp. <laughs> exactly. She, yeah. And Jenny kicks one of the guys out. The Nazi. Jenny's out. a murderer. She yeah, kicks she the did. second captain out that window. She, she killed a Nazi and I'm all here for it. Neville's accent kept coming in and out. Of a German he's and speaking, British accent. Yes, he's speaking German at one point, and then he's speaking to his men in English, and his English accent is there. And then at one point, he's speaking to other characters in English, and he's got a German accent, but when he's speaking back to German people, his English accent is back there. And then finally, at the end, he's speaking once again in a German accent. And all of this leads me to believe that they filmed whole entire scenes with him doing just speaking For normally because sure. yeah. it's not he's it's not he's not putting on an accent he's just speaking and then an entire set of scenes okay try it with a german accent and then they didn't or maybe it's intentional i don't it, i don't know it felt there, like they just went with the best scenes and said fuck all to, to continuity i did read a little bit about on the production on this they did have to cut out a lot of stuff in this it was a very oh. long movie like they, they had i mean that they were also no shit. out. So like it, it may be that that was something that kind of hit the floor I can see or that. they were just editing around it. Cause sometimes in this film, I was like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm on board. This is one of those things that took me out. Like, well, is, is he 
an English Nazi or is he a German who's been pretending to be English? Right. And it's a pedantic thing to get hung and up. Nobody on. will ever know. No one will ever know. It ends up just being Neville, Jenny and Cliff in a now burning blimp. <laughs> yeah. Because well, Jenny fired the flare gun. Right. Clancy even said like she tried to reach for the gun that he had lost and Clancy goes, no, 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 no. That's a flare gun. And then she grabbed it and fired it off. It's like, well, here we are. Neville puts on the jetpack, and then right before that happens, uh, Cliff removes the gum that was, that had, uh, they're back in a standoff and he's right. got Jenny and he's like, give me the, the jet pack. He's like, okay. And he's about to slide it over and he, oh, right. he just peels that gum up a little bit. And so it, re- it reveals the hole in the, in the gas tank essentially. Yes. So now it's leaking alcohol. Yes. And Neville puts on the backpack. He goes to the window and takes off. Well, hold on. Not before she's calling him out about everything that he was and everything that he, oh, oh, yeah. so you lied to me. And he goes, it wasn't lies, Jenny. It was, it was acting. <laughs> and then he leaps oh out and as he's flying and cackling maniacally, he, the rocket pack explodes and, Ends up destroying the land portion of the Hollywood land sign. It was so good. <laughs> it was like, this is where this movie switches from pulp to camp where it's just like, yes. oh, and that's how the Hollywood land sign changed. <laughs> so ridiculous. Oh my gosh. So uh, Jenny and Cliff are now trying to escape the blimp. So they go up through the hatch on the top of the blimp and um, Lothar is still alive. Well, yeah, he pops up behind them. Yes. And then tries to chase them on the blimp as the blimp is starting to explode section by section by section. Right. Um, and Lothar just, though still has on his dance belt that has a little, is that we, I don't think we really explained it. He came out to do maintenance on the blip and this is one of those belts that like you're cabled so that you can do the maintenance. Like you're not going to fall. Right. But now it's to his detriment. Right. So he's trying to chase them and then out of nowhere, a comes Howard a, Hughes ex machina <laughs> is a, Howard Hughes in a plane copter. helicopter plane copter plane copter comes in swoops in on top to at the last second to pick them up the drop down uh, a ladder rope ladder yeah rope ladder they both grab onto it and go out right as Lothar runs out of cable and and is dies in back. his own fiery explosion yes. and, and that's and Lothar at this point is dead yeah presumably 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 that's it we get to dana moi things have gone back to normal we go back to the bulldog cafe back to the fucking dog everyone's just kind of chilling and you know resolved you know i'm sad i can't be the rocketeer again and all this that and the other thing and what are we going to do now and then suddenly out of nowhere an airplane Drives right up. Drives right up in front of the cafe. You know what's funny is I had earlier, I, I didn't mention it because I wanted to wait till we got to this point. I had a note early on. Was Howard Hughes the kind of guy who would have plausibly like made good, like felt bad about the destruction that happened? And, yeah. And this answered the question. I was really happy about that. Not even just this portrayal of Howard Hughes, but would Howard Hughes the real person if he knew that someone was in, like someone's livelihood was injured in the course of, of, some shenanigans involving one of his projects, would he reimburse them or like make good or whatever? And then he, he did. And I was very, I was just touched by it. It came full circle. Yeah. For me. He lands in a plane, pull, pops out, takes cliff off to the side because apparently he can't talk in front of Jenny. He uh, just wants I, to have a heart to heart. Okay. Howard Hughes is thankful that cliff kept 
his design from getting into Nazi hands and or being used as a weapon at all. And he wanted to have a personal moment with him. And it was very touching. And and I mean, honestly, for Howard Hughes, this is literally nothing. And he literally could have just spun this up because he's got whole teams of people. Yeah. And even says, I hear she'll be ready for nationals in about a month. And Cliff doesn't quite get it that. Like he just thinks that Howard Hughes is eccentric and has shown up in a plane. Like, Oh, right. I just this drive. Just what he does. Never mind flying it. I just drive it around. And then he hands him a pack of gum. Make sure you don't fly it without this flashback to when the feds brought yeah. him to Howard Hughes's office and they emptied his pockets. The gum was one of the things. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he presumably told them the story about the gum. And sure. And he's like, Oh, I forgot to thank Howard. And he's like, nah, your face said everything that it needed to. Yeah, like, it was so cute. It was cute. And then we, we get a, a, a very passionate kiss between Jenny and, and Cliff. And then Jenny reveals that she stole from Neville's office the original plans that Lothar had stole. Yeah. So they can build another one. And, another jetpack. And PV starts prattling off, you know, if we change this and that and the other thing while these two are sucking face just <laughs> to the background. And good old PV's just like, oh, you kids. Yep. Camera pans the out. Only know I, the only love I know is engineering. Oh my gosh. And it sets up for a sequel that unfortunately never happened, but that's uh, that's the end of the movie. Yeah. The camera pans out. We see that stupid dog cafe again, and that's pretty much the <laughs> end. Other details on this. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes score was uh, 65 for critics, 65 for... Uh, As it, like I looked that up tonight. So yeah, it was even 65, 65 critics oh, and audience. Cool. Yeah, people I, liked it. It made okay money. I don't understand why people consider it uh, not successful. The one of the only reasons why this was movie was kind of greenlit was because it had Indiana Jones vibes to it. That's and, how. That's one of the things they did to convince Disney. Yeah, because right. they were trying to. They've the, been trying to make this for a long. The film time. rights for this had been batted around all throughout the eighties. Yeah, and when when it was because it was supposed to be released through touchstone originally and was going to be filmed like in black and white kind of indie approach like those old serials. Well, Disney remember touchstone was under Disney's umbrella, but then the, um, was it Katzenberg at the time said, no, let's, let's release this under the Walt Disney pictures logo. And that's when like the Betty page stuff went out. Right. And that's when it was everything. It was now kid friendly. This had to be kid friendly. Um, it, it was in other countries released under the touchstone um, oh. deal. The only reason was because they wanted to get more teenagers in sure. and they might not necessarily go to a Disney movie. That makes so, sense. Um, which I, you know, I, it might've done better if it, if they had done that, I don't know for me personally, like I said earlier, the biggest problem was it couldn't decide if it wanted to be. And, you know, knowing having read about some of those production issues, it couldn't decide if it wanted to actually be a 30 serial or be a pastiche or homage to a 30 yeah. serial. Like, and it kept jumping on either side of that line for me, but otherwise like, I really enjoyed this movie. This is clever. I don't know why I hadn't seen it until now. Yeah. I, I, I enjoyed it. I had a, I had a good time. I felt like it was music's great. Music was good. The acting was good. There is some talk of them possibly doing a, uh, a sequel to it. Um, well, there had been a cartoon, right? Yeah, there was a cartoon uh, on Disney junior, a rocketeer animated series. I think it was like late last year. They had uh, Bill, Bill Campbell. He was, he was a voice in it as well. So he came oh, back yeah. for that, which is pretty cool. Back in 2016, there was a couple of articles that they were, they were trying to uh, do a sequel to the movie. Um, it's it sort of petered out a little bit a couple of times. Yeah. It's, it's recently come back up that now they're trying to do a Disney plus. But that's a rumor, movie. right? It isn't. It isn't. They are going to do a Disney plus. 
There's just nobody oh. attached to it. Got so it. there's not a director. Ooh. There's nobody there. I, all I think is they have the producer and then the writer and they're just well, working I'm on, on board. the script. Yeah. I'm on board. So yeah, I, I think it would be good. The, the talk is, is that it's going to be an African-American woman as the, oh. as the protagonist and a, a Russian woman as the villain. That's exciting. Yes. Almost so, has a like a 60s kind of Cold War vibe, I think. It is. Cold War. That's <gasps> oh, what it's supposed that's to be. Exciting. It's because that's the, the plans come back and they're able to do that. I so, hope she's like the daughter of a Tuskegee Airman or something. It'd be super cool. Yeah. But yeah, so that's kind of it. Uh, the only other thing that I had under other details was that the Zeppelin explosion uh, cost $400,000. Jeez. <laughs> and was, did, did we say on Mike that it was filmed over Six Flags Magic Mountain? No, we did not. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the, a lot of this stuff was all filmed in various places in LA, but yeah, that, that stuff was, it was all miniatures, but yeah, it was all done over that's six so flags, which is super funny. Um, there were a lot of people that were, uh, that had auditioned for cliff, uh, Dennis Quaid, Kurt Russell, Bill Paxton, Jeez. Johnny Depp, Emilio Estevez, <laughs> all of them. Apparently Disney really wanted Johnny Depp, but for whatever reason that just never worked out. Color me shocked. <laughs> sure. But that's, um, that's, that's the rocketeer yeah, yeah i think we're good really enjoyed it i think we're gonna try a new format we're actually not going to pick the movie do you want to do that now yeah i think so okay um so i don't think we're gonna pick the movie this week we'll announce it ahead yeah, of time and we'll say what movie we're gonna be doing we'll give you a week yeah exactly so a week after you hear this episode we'll tweet what our next movie is going to be and this is just to give us a little bit more production agility and flexibility a little yeah, bit for more sure. flexibility Make sure that you look out for that. Do you want to do socials? Where where can they find? Well, I I just they- wanted to to remind people to rate, review, and subscribe, and to encourage them to oh, do yeah. so by reading some of our reviews. Okay, let's do it. We have this one from Wen seventy one. Uh, she says it's called Love and Happiness. She says I can't say enough great things about this podcast. Clancy has an amazing laugh. Uh-huh. Josh has an amazing laugh. When Josh belts out a tune from time to time, my heart feels light. Their perspective is fresh and their style is engaging and they are funny AF exclamation point exclamation point. Thank you. Win 71. Thank you. We've also got this one from Valentine's day of this year. Oh, from Delta blurg. (laughs) And it's the title is mandatory listening for dot, dot, dot. I don't know. Disney fans. I can't expand it on my phone, but it says if you're like me, you're probably subscribed to Disney plus for the Mandalorian and thought now what when it ended. Luckily, Josh and Clancy are here to guide you through the catalog one movie at a time. They dive in and give witty, humorous, and insightful breakdown of the episode's feature film. I've enjoyed them all so far, and I suggest watching the movies before listening to the podcast. We do, too. It's so much fun when they mention things I noticed before even, but even more so when they mention things I didn't notice. Thank you, Delta Blurg. Thank you. It almost sounds like copy. That's <laughs> I know, right? We've got some good reviews. Yes. And so, yeah, rate, review, subscribe. Maybe we'll read one of yours out. Um, you know, it's how it's how the word gets out. It really helps. Um, and yeah, thank you all for coming. Um, you can find Clancy on Twitter and Instagram at C L N C Y no A. And you can find Josh at Josh Watching TV on without the G on all the same things. Yeah. And you can find the podcast at Nonplus Pod. Uh, on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We don't have a Snapchat yet. We've been getting a couple of emails. But yeah, and then the the website, of course, is nonpluspod.com. You can email us at submissions at nonpluspod.com. Yep. We've got one uh, email that came through that I still need to read that's got some suggestions in it, but I'm really excited that we got our first, like, second. Actually, we've got two now. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. Oh, so exciting. Yeah. Well, that over there is Josh. And that over there is Clancy. 
And we're non-plus. We are non-plus. The, uh. the sun isn't up yet. We can actually get some sleep before it's daylight. Yeah, it's this is late. Uh, budget for this was 100 and uh, budget for this was three. Whoa. Uh, let me uh, get my marker together. <laughs> All right. Oh, marker's not working. All right. Hold on. Hold on, kids. All right. Here we go. And Josh, I can now hear. <sighs> All right. Settle. Settle. I know you've settled. But if you can settle in this moment. <laughs> You've got to just give me a second. Let me get through this. He's crying. <laughs> Fuck you. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, I love this man. <laughs> I just want to get over this so that we can keep recording. Oh my goodness. Goddamn French farce. Marker. <laughs> God damn it. I'm not. You're doing this on purpose. I am not doing this on purpose.